So we started a, a couple of weeks ago uh, working our, our way through talking about our core vision process that we've been in here for a couple of years and sharing that uh, information with you. And as we went into this, we, we talked about this uh, series as our journey. And uh, I laid out for you four weeks ago the, the call and purpose part of that. And then we started working our way through the four pillars of spiritual growth. And those are things that we came up with as we uh, read through and reflected on what we'd seen and what we understood from a, a big survey that was done through Willow Creek Church. Uh, and then interestingly enough, we found that as we read other material, we kept coming across those same four pillars. And, and so we felt very confirmed in what God was leading us to with that. And so I'm going to just remind you those four pillars. Uh, and they start off as we uh, talk about our journey. They start off with what you're doing this morning, which is, oh, good. You knew. And, uh, and then we go from worship to the next uh, pillar, which is uh, this lifelong journey of intentional learning and growing in Christ, which we talk about as? Okay, now you're cheating back there. You've heard this before. And, and, and then we talk about taking this faith that we're growing, uh, God's growing in us, and putting it into action, concrete action in the world. And we call that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after we talk about worship, discipleship, and service, we talk about this discipline of responding to God's grace in a, in, and partly in a way that enables all of this to happen. And that's called... Oh, wait, who was that over here? It was so loud. <laughs> Whoever he is, he needs to come up here and preach. So Yeah, and, and so as we're talking about this and we're doing this with the, the staff and we had different pastors presenting different parts of that, and we came up to the one about generosity, they all turned and looked at me. I so, said, oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. So, uh, so, you know, generosity, and we defined it this way, uh, joyfully, faithfully supporting Christ's ministry financially as a response to God's generous love and provision for us. And I, I'm sure as you came in this morning, you were all joyful about that, right? Right? Where you came in and said, oh, generosity, we're going to talk about giving money. Woohoo! Right? You all did that, right? <laughs> So I just have to, I want to push you back. I want you to understand something about this. When we put this together, um, that last part as a response to God's generous love and provision for us, if you don't understand uh, and don't claim God's generous love for you, uh, you may be faithful in your generosity, but you're not going to be joyful. You have to, to have that understanding of, of what God has done for you so generously out of love. So this is what I want you to do now. I'm gonna, we're going to take a minute. I want you to turn to somebody sitting beside you, and I want you to share with that person how has God loved and provided for you. I'm going to give you about a minute. Ready, set, go. So as I go through this uh, this morning, I'm, I just want to, to remind you and come back to that, that uh, when we talk about being generous and, and why be generous, uh, it's, it's because God is first generous with us. Uh, let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the love that you pour out upon us. And we ask this morning that you open our hearts and our spirits and our minds to receive your word. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, when, when we take groups and we go into uh, different places doing mission trips, and especially when we're going into the developing world, uh, we often talk uh, before we go about culture shock so that uh, people understand that so that, you know, they're going to a place where the surroundings are going to be very different from what they're used to, and the culture is going to be very different from what they're used to, and, and we don't want them to freak out so that when we go to places and we're working on someone's home like this one, 
And uh, this actually is a home that we have worked on uh, in El Salvador. Uh, we don't want people to be unable to engage the people that live there because they can't deal with the different culture and the, and the different kind of uh, living situation. And, and that's understandable. I think most people understand the need to do that and don't have a problem with it. What they sometimes underestimate is the fact that when we come back, after having spent a week or so living here and working with folks, and we come back to the United States, there's something known as reverse culture shock. I can bring it up. And reverse culture shock is when you uh, come out of that environment, and you step back into our environment here, and, and you struggle kind of with uh, you know readjusting back to what we do all the time. And, and normally, what happens for me, at least, is I notice all the things that we refer to as first world problems. You know, this is the person that comes and says, "What? Well, you know, the batteries were out in the remote, and I had to get up and change the TV channels by hand last night." Oh, well, we had to buy our daughter a car for college, you know, and, and now our driveway is not big enough. Oh, and, and you know, it, oh, it's, it, it's so hot out there, but the air conditioning is too high and I'm freezing in here. Oh, it's so sad. And I, and I, I caught myself a couple of years ago, uh, came back from one of those and we were talking about going to Corpus for annual conference and somebody was complaining about the water because the water Corpus has a kind of a brackish kind of flavor to it and said, oh, I hate the way that Corpus Christi water tastes. And, and I found myself saying back to them before I realized it, well, you know, at least you don't have to walk an hour to get water and worry about it to kill your children. And, 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 and they're looking at me like, oh man, dude, what's, what's up? I'm like, whoa, hey, are you okay, man? I mean, you know, because of course they had no context to understand what I was talking about. And, and, and so, you know, you, you learn after a while that you have to temper that response when you come back into the States because there's so many things we take for granted and when you come back, you notice all of that very much. And, and now when I come back, having learned to keep my mouth shut a little better, it's, it's a work in progress. Uh, when, when, when I come back into the station, you know, there's things I notice like, it's so nice to brush your teeth with tap water and, and to shower without worrying about getting the water in your mouth, you know what I mean? It's so nice to go places and have indoor plumbing. Uh, you know, wherever you are. I mean, it's really nice. It's so nice to go to sleep in your own bed. It's so comfortable. And you don't have to put the mosquito net around it. And you don't have to listen for that that tells you that one got in. Right? I mean, you, the, I mean these subtle little things. And, and it's so nice to, to come and be back home in your own space where you feel safe and secure. And it's wonderful when I get off the plane and I gather my luggage up and everything and I walk out and Cindy pulls up to pick me up and I get to see her face after I've been gone. And those are wonderful things. And, and you're just filled with gratitude for stuff that we take for granted most of the time. And one of the things I notice so much is that uh, the people I have left behind oftentimes are so much more joyful in their faith than the people here are because we've started to take it all for granted. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, listen, tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. 
extravagantly generous. You know, we've used that phrase here, and I oftentimes think that we don't really quite understand that as well as some of our brothers and sisters do. Uh, when I go and I, I, I visit the family and they prepare this feast for us who are coming to visit them, and you walk in and there's this table and it's just loaded with food. I mean, it's just overwhelming. And, and you have this tremendous feast, uh, and it's a great celebration and a great joy. I'm keenly aware that their generosity that day means they may not eat for the next two or three days. That's extravagantly generous. And there's a tremendous joy in their faith because each day they understand that God is providing for them. And, and we begin to kind of take all that for granted. So I want to challenge you this morning to think about where God's been generous to you in your life and where God's provided for you generously. There's a, a story. Well, first, I want to cover this. There's a word that we use. It's called gratitude. And, and I don't know if you're, you know, if you play with words like I do sometimes, but if you start unpacking that word, uh, gratis, Latin, uh, you know, the roots of this means something that's free. It's gratis. It's free. Uh, gratuity is a free gift. Gratitude is to be thankful for a free gift. And that's literally the Latin roots of this word. It's to be thankful for the free gift that's given to us. So there's a story in Luke's gospel, and uh, Jesus is uh, walking along the shore of Lake Gennesaret, which is also called this Lake Tiberias or Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. Um, and, and the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God that he was teaching. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there, he used the boat for a pulpit. He taught the crowd. Now, the boat looked probably something like this. Uh, and when they brought him in for the evening, that was a sign that they were done for the day. You know, they'd been out fishing uh, through the early, uh, early morning hours and so forth. And so they're, they're done for the day. They pulled their boat up. They're scrubbing their nets. They're, they're cleaning all the, you know, the, the debris and grass and rocks and everything out of their nets and fixing them up and, and getting ready to fold them back up so that tomorrow they'll be ready to go. And their intent is, I'm going to clean all this up and then I'm going to go home and get something to eat and go to bed. So they're at the end of their day, basically, and Jesus comes on and he says, hey guys, would you let me use your boat for a minute? And they're saying, sure, fine, so whatever. So they push the boat out, Jesus gets in and he begins to teach, and they're still cleaning their nets and listening to him as he teaches. And when he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Now I... I suspect that in Simon's head, what he was thinking was something like, wait a minute, I'm the professional fisherman here, and you're a rabbi and a carpenter. You know, what do you know about fishing, right? I mean, I'm sure that went through his head. But yet there was something, there was something about this guy. He's been listening to him teach, and there's something about the authority with which he teaches and the, the authenticity with which he teaches that has caught Simon's attention. And so he says, Master... You see, he's already recognizing that there's something special about this Jesus guy. Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't even caught a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. 
Now, I don't know what Jesus said here or how he motioned, but he indicated to him that, yeah, that's what I want you to do. And it was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. And when they get these boats full of fish, they literally do almost uh, get swamped from the weight of the fish in them. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. Now, you know, the first time I read through this story, I thought, you know, if, if you were the fisherman and your nets came in that full, wouldn't you really probably say, uh, hey, Jesus, can, can you come back tomorrow night? <laughs> I mean, you're always welcome to come. Yeah, come on, right? But, but somehow in this, this moment... There's something about the miracle of this overwhelming catch of fish combined with what Simon's heard and seen in Jesus as he's taught that makes him understand, realize that somehow this person is different. This person is different. That this, this man carries the weight of God with him and there's a holiness to him. And, and, and you know, when you're in the midst, in the presence of holiness, the first thing you become intensely aware of is your own unholiness. And so Simon is instantly aware of that. Master, leave. I'm a sinner. I, I can't handle this holiness. Lead me to myself. And when they pulled in the catch of fish, all overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's son, co-workers with Jesus. Jesus said to Simon, there's nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and followed him. They pulled in boats up, nets and all. They left their livelihood, everything they knew, behind to follow Jesus. Gratitude. Somehow in that moment, there was something in Simon that recognized when Jesus said, you know, don't be afraid. There's nothing to fear here. That, that in, in Christ, grace was being freely poured out on him and forgiveness was being freely poured out on him. I mean, in that moment, uh, in that moment, what, what Simon was experiencing in real time was what Paul wrote to the Romans. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, while we still were sinners, not, not, not after we'd gotten everything squared away and fixed up and, and you know, had all of our stuff in order and had our lives all perfect, but while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely than now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. And Paul had this power, I mean, Simon had this powerful experience of, of free grace being poured out on him and forgiveness being poured out on him. And all of a sudden he realized that this, this Jesus, this Jesus has given me something that no one else in the world has given me. You know, I thought at this point in the sermon, what I really originally wanted to do was I thought, okay, I'm, now I'm just going to have you sit with someone and, and talk about all the things in your life that God has forgiven or that God still needs to forgive. And then I thought, no, they won't do that. <laughs> but, but I sat down and I started making a list. I thought, okay, so if I was just going to make a list you know, start writing. 
how many things, uh, you know, has God forgiven me in my life and, and what's still out there? And, and, and uh, you know, how, what would that, I mean, would it be like, you know, five things? And so I started writing, no, it, it, was it 10? No, 15? No. Uh, you know, it kept kind of, you know, was it 20? Was it 50? No. You know, it just kept kind of going. And was it 40 or 100? And no, it kept kind of going. And, you know, pretty soon, you know, what you find out is if you actually start doing that and working your way through it, you pretty well use the whole doggone tablet trying to write it all down. That's why forgiveness is the... One thing that we keep having people say, yo, you need to preach on that. Because there's so much there. So much there. And in that moment, Peter, Peter understands that grace that's poured out and that forgiveness in a powerful way. Jesus, when he's teaching um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moss and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Now, that's pretty common sense when you really think about it. If you know someone who's like always wanted a boat, they've always wanted a boat, and they finally managed to buy it. And, and, and what happens then at that point? Whether they're sailing it or whether they're just working on it or putzing around with it or whatever. You know, anytime you're looking for them, where are they? They're they're on the boat, right? Uh, if you know someone who has those beautiful, you know, fancy carbon fiber golf clubs you know, that they make these days, right? And you want to know where they are, where are they going to be? They're, they're on the golf course, right? Now I'm stepping on your toes, aren't you? Aren't? Because, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, and, and that's where you're going to be. And we know uh, people who have packed up and sold their homes and moved to another town because they want to be closer to their grandchildren, right? Because where your treasure is, their grandkids, that's where their heart is and that's where they want to be. And so Peter, in that moment, is looking at Jesus, the guy that's poured out all this forgiveness and grace on him. Not, not because Peter's done anything. I mean, Peter hadn't, I mean, Peter's just been fishing that night. He hadn't done anything at all. He's just doing what he always does. And, and, and all this has been poured out on all this grace. And he's looking at him and realizes that that's where his treasure is, that Jesus guy. And so he leaves everything behind to follow him. And where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? And where are you going to end up being? When I think about gratitude in my life, that thankfulness for the free gift that's poured out on me, I, I go to uh, the first letter of John a lot of times, but there's a particular passage in it that I think is wonderful where he says, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. We're called children of God, and that's who we really are. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, y'all have heard me talk about, I had uh, my kind of conversion experience was really kind of in my early teens. It was really more a matter of coming back to the faith I'd grown up with, but, but it happened in my early teens, and, and, and once that occurred, I really started working hard in my life. Uh, there were things I had to really work hard at, and uh, I worked really hard uh, 
to, uh, to get away from the immorality and the, the drugs and the alcohol that had permeated my life at that point in time. And some of you all know about doing 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I really wrestled with that. And I worked hard at that for years. Uh, and I worked really hard at being a good student in school because uh, I knew there wasn't any money for me to go to college otherwise, and so I needed to make good grades so I could get scholarships and things. And, and I worked really hard at the job I started because I needed money to cover what the scholarships weren't going to pay for. And, and so I worked really hard, and I, I did that for years. I really worked hard at that, and I made really good grades in high school. I got a lot of great scholarships. I uh, went to college. I did really well in college. Met a wonderful woman and got married. I went to seminary. I did really well in seminary, make good grades and that. I came out of that, uh, went to the, the first church I served where I was doing youth and missions. And in spite of a pretty dysfunctional kind of staff and, and administrative system in that church, I worked really hard for three years and doubled the size of the youth group there uh, and, and just did really well. And, and then I went to my first solo church and I worked really hard for a couple of years and nothing happened. <laughs> Nada. Nothing no, attendance didn't change. The finances were still on the toilet. Nothing happened. And I, I was really discouraged. And, and I sat down with one of the older gentlemen in the church that was a mentor to me. I said, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe, this, maybe I'm just in the wrong place. Maybe I need to call the district uh, superintendent and the bishop up and say, you know, y'all just made a mistake. You know, this is not where I need to be. And y'all need to get me out of here and put somebody else in here. Um, and he said, Tom, he says, you know, God did not call you here to be successful. God called you here to be faithful. Now, I want you to think about that. How many of us try to be successful in our faith? We, we, we try to work at our faith as if somehow or another, if we work hard enough, we'll earn God's favor. If we work at it hard enough, we'll become wise and so forth. How many of us take that kind of approach? Like it's, it's all about what we do. And I started thinking about what he said and I realized, yeah, you know, I really, I, I really, I, I did work hard all those years. But the truth of the matter is everything that came out of that wasn't because of my hard work. Everything that came out of that was because God was faithful to me. And it kind of turned everything upside down. And I began to understand that I was a, a child of God, not because of who I was or what I had done. I, I was a child of God because God claimed me, because God loved me, because God forgave me, because God redeemed me, because God began to heal and put back together my brokenness and bring wholeness into my life. And that had nothing to do with my work. It had everything to do with God's faithfulness. And that changed everything in my life and in the church I served. So I'm wondering this morning, I mean, when you come here, are, are, are you coming with that kind of a idea that somehow or another, you know, if you just work at it hard enough, you'll be successful. It's all about you and you've earned it and all that. Or, or do you understand that this is, this is all about God's faithfulness to you? God's love for you. That God freely pours out upon you grace and forgiveness and redemption and healing and wholeness. And that God is continuing to grow you in righteousness from this time forward, just like God's continuing to grow me in righteousness. Got a long way to go still. 
and claiming that than being able to understand the generosity of God's love. That it's not about your success. It's about how faithful God's been to you and God's love for you. That, that indeed, we're called children of God. And that's who we really are. Not, not because we earned it, but because God in love has claimed us. So I want you to think about that a little bit. I'm going to give you a couple of questions here just to think about it. You know, where has God been generous to you in life? Where has God poured out forgiveness on you? Where has God poured out grace on you? Where has brought, God brought healing into the brokenness of your life? Where has God redeemed you? Where has God begun to grow you in life? Where has God been generous to you? And, and if you're sitting there thinking, well, I can't think of anything, then let me ask you another question. Do you want to understand how God's been generous to you? And are you willing to accept that God's been generous to you. But if you understand how God has been generous to you and how God has blessed your life and been faithful to you, then the next question is, uh, how's God calling you to grow in your generosity? To take what God has poured out on you and to share it with someone else. Because God is faithful to us and in love. (laughs) God has called us children of God. That's who we really are. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your gift of love. That not because we've earned it, not because we're aware of it, not because of what we've done, but because in love, um, you've poured out on us forgiveness. You've poured out on us grace. You've healed our brokenness. You've redeemed us from the pit. You've grown us in righteousness so that we might know that we are your children. And that's who we really are. Father, we ask that you open our eyes to understand that, to be overwhelmed with joy and gratitude so that we might be willing to take that wonderful love that you've poured out on us and be extravagantly generous in sharing that with those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.